Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Coffee with a friend is like capturing joy in a cup. Welcome to the Coffee with Jenny B podcast, hosted by Jenny B, a lover of all things coffee. Each week, Jenny will chat about connecting over coffee, what brings her joy, and everything in between. A lot can happen over coffee, so grab a cup, sit back, and enjoy. Now here's your host, Jenny B. Hello and welcome to the show. I love music. I think I love pretty much every single genre of music. Well, except I'm not 100% in love with country music. I mean, I like some of the newer stuff, but some of the, you know, tear in my beer, yeah, not for me. But when I think about music, I think about, you know, as I say, I love different genres, but depending on my mood and depending on what I'm going through, different types of music will provide a different reaction or a different sensation for me. So, If I'm, say, studying or I'm working on something that requires concentration, I may play a little bit of soft jazz or a little bit of, you know, classical music. And then sometimes if I'm feeling angry and I just, I just need to get it out and I need to get outside and work out my frustrations, I might put on some heavy metal or some heavy rock and the heaviness of it and the loudness and the, the angry chords brings out something in me. And, and it's almost like, you know, music can soothe the savage beast in a sense. So it, you've got the anger versus the anger, and then it cancels itself out. But music can also be very healing. You know, when you're going through a tough time, you're feeling a little depressed, you're feeling emotional, you're feeling anxious, and all the other emotions that go along with that. Sometimes certain types of music can help you heal, can soften those wounds, can soften you in a sense that you can let those emotions out. And it can be a very healing and nurturing process. And when I think about people who are musicians who do offer that healing The one person that comes to mind is Rob Nash. Now, my friend Nicole is the CEO of the Rob Nash Project. And when I was having a conversation with her over coffee, of course, we were just chatting and I said, you know, I would love to interview Rob. I think his story is absolutely fascinating and I want to know more about it. And luckily, Nicole was able to make that happen. And so my special guest today is Rob himself. So please help me welcome Rob. Hey. 
Hey, hey, we are going to get along well, Jenny. I can tell because you love talking music, you love coffee, and you shun country music. So we're, we are golden right off the hop. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so because this is a conversation and we're going to have lots of fun talking about music and also more about what your project is all about. So let me ask you, how did you get started or maybe why did you start the Rob Nash project? Well, I like the way you said that, you know, why? Because I think most of the time you talk with adults, you ask them, what do you do? And everyone has an answer. You know, I'm a plumber, you know, or a musician or whatever, podcast host. But very, when you ask people, why do you do it? People stumble and they don't have an answer. And I think that's a sad thing. And for me, um, you know, I never wanted to be a musician. My worst mark in school is music. I tried out for the choir. I didn't make it. My voice wasn't good enough. I loved music. I just never thought I'd do it for a living. And you nailed it. It's It was born for me, not about what I wanted to be, but why I wanted to do it. You know, for those who don't know my story, I was, um, I'm six foot five. I played a lot of sports. And uh, when I was 17 years old, me and my friends feeling, you know, indestructible as teenagers, uh, we were going way too fast down these icy roads and we pulled up past one last car before our school and we got hit by a semi-truck and none of my friends were hurt, but uh, they turned back and they saw that I was laying there. And the first person that arrived on the scene that was just a kilometer away happened to be a guy that just took his first responders course and uh, he resuscitated me and uh, my family got the call that no one ever wants to get. And uh, my family were coming to the hospital. And as you can tell from my voice, obviously, I came back to life and it got a second chance at things. But, you know, they got me there and they started many, many surgeries. Uh, one was to rebuild my skull uh, with titanium, uh, stainless steel in my chest. And, uh, you know, I woke up from my coma and uh, I was dealing with a lot of uh, memory issues. I'm missing about three months. And, uh, a lot of people would ask me the questions, you know, I'm still having surgeries to this day. And people would say like, how's the, how's the skull pain? You know, how's your back? How's your shoulder? But nobody asked the important question that was, you know, how are you doing inside of that skull? Like, how's your, how are you doing mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Because as much as that's a, a massive thing, massive recovery physically, what that does to you emotionally and mentally and spiritually, that was the bigger struggle. And, you know, uh, here you go from a guy that's six foot five that plays sports to a guy that's getting bathed by his mom. And I went to a really dark place and uh, nobody knew. Uh, I kept it all inside. Uh, you know, as we're often told, you know, suck it up, be a man, you know. And uh, everybody would throw cliches at me. Like some people said, you know, it was fate, right? <laughs> some people in my family told me that, you know, God was mad at me. So he spanked me with a semi truck because I'm a bad kid. I didn't like that, but the most common phrase people would say to me, and they still say to this day, and I know people mean well when they say this, but I think it does more damage than good. People would say, Rob, everything happens for a reason. And again, people say that with good <laughs> intentions, but I think that does more damage than good. Now I delay there and think, what's the reason I was hit by a semi? You know, is this a life lesson? You know, and now I was like, if I'm a bad kid and need a life life lesson, am I just going to get hit by lightning in the future again? And so for over two years, I was suicidal. I didn't want to be alive. And then one day somebody came up to me 
He said the most amazing thing and it changed my life. This guy walks up. He goes, hey, Rob, you think everything happens for a reason, right? I was like, that's what everyone tells me. He goes, I think I know the reason you were hit by that semi-truck. I'm like, what is it? And he goes, I think you got hit by that semi-truck because you and your friends were going too fast on an icy road. (laughs) Shit happens. What are you going to do with it? (laughs) And that sounds simple, but that set me free. I realized we're not puppets. We get to make our own decisions. And sometimes we're going to have a bad day. It's just going to happen. What are you going to do with it? And uh, man, ever since that day, you know, I've been telling my story. And now I always say this. Like, I've seen things happen in my life that are just magical, divine, you know, supernatural, amazing, beautiful things that just, they're beyond coincidence. But when you say everything happens for a reason, I can't buy that. Um, This is what I always say. Bad things don't happen for a reason. Bad things happen with potential. Like, my accident had the potential to leave me angry, bitter, suicidal for the rest of my life, or... There's the potential. I can take my story, turn it around, and try to help others with it. You know, like you can see a tragedy has has the has the potential of tearing apart an individual, a family, a community, a city, a country. We've seen that in the last few years, right? But tragedy also has the potential to bring people together. We have to make decisions, right? So I was like, man, <laughs> I'll tell you this, Jenny. Uh, I got to this place where I was like, I need to tell my story. Like I got a second chance and and I need to do something. Not everybody gets a second chance. I remember I screamed at the sky and I was like, I want to do something today. Like I want to do something that matters. And I thought I'd hear a voice inside of me telling me to like move to Africa and build a well or something, you know, and I would have done it. And that's not what I heard. But you know how you get those, those gut feelings, like those prompting sometimes you just can't explain it. This is what I felt clear as day. Phone the semi driver that hit you and tell me you're alive. And I was like, what? So I phoned the police. I'm like, hey, can I get the phone number of the semi driver that ran me over a little while ago? And the cops are like, no. And I hung up the phone, but this voice wouldn't leave me alone. So I kept trying. And uh, finally, when the cop gave me his number and a big trucker from the U.S. answered the phone, he's like, hello. I was like, hey, is this so-and-so? And he goes, yep. I said, do you remember that car accident up in Canada a little while ago? And he got real quiet. He's like, yeah. I said, I just felt in my heart that I should call you and tell you, like, I'm okay, man. Like, I'm alive. I survived. And he starts crying. Now, the accident wasn't his fault. It was my friend's fault. But he saw his semi run me over and kill me, and it was haunting him. And we talked, and he was set free. But the important part of that story isn't what happened to him. It's what happened to me. I had never done anything for anyone in my life until that day. And I hung up the phone. I was like, that felt good. Like, I want to feel that again, right? And, uh, yeah, I just, it became this addiction. And I thought, man, I want to tell my story so other people don't have to die like I did before they figure out how to live like that, you know, for other people. And so, yeah, I thought, how did I tell my story? And I thought, oh, music's a good way to tell a story. So I started a band. And that was a really long answer to your question. Why did you start playing music? But it became with the why. It it was just, I wanted to tell a story. That's why I started. 
Oh, Rob, I'm not sure whether I want to laugh or cry or maybe do both at the same time. That is such an amazing. I mean, I, I don't even want to say the word amazing because it's not it's not just amazing. It is so inspirational. It is so moving. And I totally understand where you're coming from, where that it's not even a voice inside of you. It's a I say it's energy because we're all made of energy and we emit energy to each other and there's good energy that that draws you together. So when you get the vibe from somebody and you can tell right away if it's good energy or bad energy, but there's that energy inside of us. You know, when you were saying that that little voice or that little whatever it is inside of you, it's like, no, it's not leaving you alone. It's like, you know, it's telling you, you have to do something. And I know you said you weren't quite sure exactly what it was, but what led you to have that conversation? Well, first of all, for your friend to say, well, actually, the reason it happened was because you had an accident and on an icy road and you were run over by a semi. So (laughs) I can totally get why that would be so freeing because, oh, okay, it's not my fault. It's not my friend's fault. It's nobody's fault. It, It just, it's one of those freak things that happen. And, and the fact that it, that was able to, first of all, set you free in a sense of, okay, so I can stop dwelling on why and not deal with it anymore. So just put it behind you. It's like, okay, done. Let's move on. And then having that closure, right? Cause that's what I hear it is, is closure for you to have that conversation with that trucker and do something kind for him, because I'm sure that probably would have haunted him for the rest of his life. And the fact that you were so generous and so humble and so kind to call him and just say, Hey man, I'm alive. I'm doing great. Like amazing. And it's interesting though, right? Cause that wasn't complex. You're saying you did something amazing, but the only reason I bring up the fact that I thought I'd hear a voice telling me to move to Africa and build a well, like, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that for those who have, you know, wanted to go do something massive. But we think that we have to do, like, if you're going to do something significant in this world, you have to like, you know, start your own charity and do this massive thing. And you can do that. Great. But this was a phone call. Like, I think we make life way too complex. You know, what I tell people all the time is, you know, when you wake up in the morning, if you say, I'm available, I'm going to keep my eyes and my ears open. And if I if I see somebody going through something, I'll be watching for it. I say it all the time. Like, hey, if there's something that needs to be done today and somebody more talented isn't willing to do it, I'll try. You know, like, and when you have that mindset in the morning, like, I'm available. I'm going to keep my take my eyes off of myself. And I think we have a very, you know, self-absorbed world, you know, like, my mom was born and raised in Mexico. My dad uh, spent eight, 10 years in Mexico and a few years in Belize growing up. And like so many, you know, we came to North America for that. Uh, well, I guess Mexico is North America, but came to, uh, you know, Canada, came to America type thing for that American dream, right? And And it's a beautiful thing. Like we have such a wonderful country, but at times I'm like, I think we've lost our way, right? I think we've become so obsessed with more. I want, you know, a bigger house. I want more. I want more. I want a bigger cottage. I want a boat. I want another nicer car. You know, we're so obsessed with that, you know, and 
um, I went to visit um, my dad's side of the family a few times in Belize. And the one time I went and there was only, uh, I went there and I was there for three weeks and I only told one cousin that I was coming and he picked me up from the airport and everybody found out I was there and there was a big party. The next day we go tubing through the caves, you know, and the next day we go to the ocean. The next day, you know, we're going to the mine ruins. And after about five, six days, I was like, guys, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I'm here for three weeks. I'm like, don't you have jobs? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, what did you tell your bosses? We told them that our family's here. I was like, and they were good with it? They're like, of course. And then, this is no joke, about six months later, my cousin came up here to Canada and he surprised me. He's like, Rob, I'm here. I'm like, oh, cool. I look at my watch and my phone. I'm like, I can meet you for coffee like next Thursday at 8.45, right? And he's like, no, 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 I'm here to hang out for a few weeks. And I tried to explain how we do things here and I can't just not work and I can't just because family's here, like that's not. And the more I explained it, with the grocer I felt <laughs> like I'm like what have we created here like our yes our our houses are nicer here and we have better cars but you know at the cost of what you know like and that's I think a lot of what I talk about in my music and and the work that I do like my new album is called this is war and the title track this is war says exactly that it talks about you know we think we've we've created paradise in the west and it, it like I love my country but, you know, it talks about the fact, like, if this is paradise, why are there so many suicides and so many people overdosing? And, you know, we toured with some of the biggest bands and you meet them backstage and you think they're going to be so fulfilled because they got everything you ever wanted. And not always, but often they were some of the emptiest people you meet backstage because they get all the tangible things that you think are going to satisfy you, but there's something else, you know? And I think we've lost our way a little bit and it's time to get back to our roots of just phoning a semi driver, getting up and being available. Like what can I do for somebody else today? You know, I want to touch on um, what you had said about the musicians or the, and, and maybe, maybe it's not just the musicians, but whoever's involved with the band is that maybe there's no purpose, you know, maybe for them, it's the adulation. It's the it's the energy. It's the money. It's the fame. It's the I, I'm not sure, but typically when you have a purpose, you know, it gets back to your why. Why are you doing this? Why are you touring? Why are you playing a concert concert here? Why are you Why are you doing anything in life? And if you can't answer that why, and if you don't know what your purpose is, you're basically like a robot just going through the motions. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, <laughs> let's say I look at my team, you know, we'll be on the road and, you know, all of a sudden the guys will come up like, so you're about to go on stage or I'll walk off stage and I'll be like, how do you do that, man? Like I would freak out being in front of thousands of people the way you do. Right. And I look at them, I'm like, that, that's nothing. I don't know how you climb up into the rafters and you hang lights. Like we all have different gifts, you know, like, and and you know, spend a little bit of time every day, you know, using a gift, even you know, even if it's just a hobby. Like, um, do something that makes you smile. Do something that feels significant, not just successful, right? Yeah, and for me, uh, it's what brings me joy. Uh, my core values are joy and making a difference. 
And I try to find things that, first of all, either bring me joy or I can bring someone else joy. And the making a difference part is, you know, saying something nice to someone, smiling at someone, buying somebody a, a cup of coffee. You know, it's the little things that people appreciate. I mean, the grandiose gestures of gifts and everything. I mean, my family, um, we've we've stopped giving each other Christmas gifts because, you know, I'm going to buy you something that you could buy yourself or maybe I'm not going to buy you something that you want and you're going to put it away and it's like, oh, thanks. And then, you know, never use it. And so we like to think about experiences, you know, what can we do together? You know, let's go out for a meal at your favorite restaurant, or let's go see a movie, or let's, let's do something. Let's have that experience of sharing each other's energy, you know, sharing each other's time and everything. Totally. You know this, Jenny, we haven't talked about it much here, but you know, I do a lot of work with um, at-risk youth, you know, that are suicidal, dealing with addiction and stuff, self-harm, but I don't do a lot of one-on-one counseling. It's just not what I do. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. But one time, uh, a family friend of ours, uh, you know, their son had his third attempt. And they asked if I'd pick him up from the hospital when he was released. I'm like, yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, picked him up. We went out for lunch. And it was an outdoor place. It was pretty busy. And and he goes, I don't know why my parents, you know, why they try to control me. You know, if I want to get high, it's my life. If I want to cut myself, these are my arms. If I want to kill myself, it's my life. And I just looked at him like, yeah, but I think there's something special about you. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I said, if you've been to the place of suicidal thoughts and depression, I think you're like me. You hurt deeply, but you can see when others are hurting, can't you? And he was like, yeah. I was like, you hurt deeply, but you love deeply too, don't you? And he was like, huh. Yeah. I was like, you have what I have, and it sucks sometimes. I said, you ever get those promptings? Somebody stands out to you in the crowd, and you're not sure why? He goes, yeah, that happens all the time. I'm like, yeah, let's go for a walk. Like, let's go. I want to try something. So we start walking down these busy streets, right? And he's like, what are we doing? He goes, we're just going for a walk. And then got to this one area, and I said, tell me, does anyone, busy, busy streets, right? I said, does anyone on the streets here stand out to you in the crowds? He goes, what? I'm like, does anyone stand out to you? He goes, well, it's weird you say that. Because see that woman across the street over there? And I was like, the one with the walker? And he's like, yeah. I was like, yeah? He goes, well, as soon as we came out here, I noticed her. I'm like, cool, let's go find out why. So I start walking across the street, and he's following me. He goes, what are we doing? I'm like, let's go see why she stood out to you, right? So we walked across the street. And I said, hey, ma'am, is there anything we could help you with right now? And she, she gets really quiet and she goes, um, she goes, uh, my shoes are untied and I, I'm, I'm scared I'm going to fall and break my other hip. I just prayed that someone would come and tie my shoes. She goes, would you boys tie my shoes for me? I was like, sure. So I tied one, he tied the other and we got up and she was crying. She was so grateful. It's like, we just bought her a house. Right. And we walked away and I was like, uh, he was like, that was Good, awesome. I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, and you felt it. I'm like, let me ask you something. Do you want to hurt yourself right now? He's like, no. I'm like, do you want to get high? He's like, no. I'm like, do you want to kill yourself? He's like, no. I'm like, why? Who are you focused on? And he was like, her. I'm like, nah. I said, you know, those moments when you're really at your lowest lows, let me guess you're alone, right? When you're feeling depression, suicidal thoughts, he goes, 
yeah. He's like, yeah. I said, look, you have what I have, and it sucks sometimes. Like, the lows are really low, right? And I said, but you've got a gift. You're not cursed, man. Like, when you feel those things, maybe there's something in the world that you're supposed to be doing, right? And I think to myself, like, we get diagnosed with depression. Nobody gets diagnosed with empathy. Isn't that interesting? Like, depression is very real, but for me, when I meet so many young people on my tour, it's like, so often it's like, here, take this medication. It'll make you numb. It'll make you normal. And I'm not always against medication. I've seen it do wonderful things. But for me, it's like, channel it. You know, don't shut this off, right? As I mentioned in the beginning of this interview, you know, like uh, a lot of people would focus on my my physical healing since my accident, but it's the emotional stuff. And what, you know, I had started a band and we had a few top 10 hits on the radio. And then I was offered this nine month tour, me and my guitar going into some schools telling my story. And it just felt like the right thing to do. And everyone thought I was crazy walking away from a record deal. And, you know, uh, I didn't have a dollar to my name. You know, <laughs> people get really misunderstood, a lot of misunderstandings about the music business, but I just owed money. And uh, I walked away from the record deal to do this nine month tour. And when I started going to schools, you know, I would just talk about, hey, I had this accident, you know, so like, you know, make every day count because you never know if you're going to get tomorrow, right? That's That was my message, right? And uh, after the nine months, other schools started calling, other communities started calling, and all of a sudden I'm getting calls to reserves and youth detention centers and, you know, prisons, you know, and uh, I started putting a band back together. So now it was two acoustics guitars and then we added a drummer and it started growing. And, uh, and all of a sudden we couldn't meet the demand of, of the amount of calls we were getting, but I still never talked about the fact that I was suicidal. My show was just about, Hey, you know, make every day count. Here's some issues that we see young people dealing with, but we got called to one school in Ontario they asked us to come right away. The principal said they just had a suicide and they said, and on the girl's suicide note, it revealed that she had a pact. She had to deal with one of her friends. If you kill yourself, I'll kill myself. The principal says, we don't know who it is. So it was a, it was a tense feeling. Jenny were sitting on stage in front of a thousand students. And I knew somebody sitting in front of me was about to take their life. And I didn't know where they were sitting. And I was like, this, I was getting to this place in the show as I'm telling stories and playing music. I could just feel it. I needed to say that I was there once too. And I was terrified. Like, what is the audience going to think of me? What are the teachers going to think of me if I reveal this weakness? What are the students going to think of me? What is my band going to think of me? I've never said this to anyone. And uh, I got to the place in the show and I just, I felt it. I'm like, do it, Rob. And I just braced for impact and I was like, I know somebody in this room is thinking about taking their life. I was like, you're not alone. I was there once too. And I braced, but it felt like a thousand pounds off me. That felt so good to say it. Right. And afterwards, you know, you know people coming up, some still just want a selfie or an autograph. Right. But the relationship between me and the audience was at a whole new level and people giving me hugs. And then this girl walks up to me and, she pulls a note out of her pocket, old crinkled up note, and she hands it to me. And I was like, what's this? And she goes, it was my suicide note. She goes, I was going to kill myself this weekend. She goes, here, I don't need this anymore. And 
the principal and the school counselor standing beside me and they walked off together to get help. Right. And I was like, what just happened? Like, but that's why they called me there. Could we find her? And here she was. And then the next day I was like thinking about the stats from kids helpful. And one of our partners, it says that this is pre COVID it's way worse now, but pre COVID one in five teenagers has seriously considered suicide in the last 12 months, one in five. So now sitting in front of another thousand students, I'm like, well, if the stats are true, then I did it again. I knew, I know somebody sitting in the audience in front of me is thinking about taking their life. You're not alone. I was there once too. And this young man came up to me and he gave me his note and walked off with a counselor. I'm like, oh, those, this is a thing. And, uh, yeah, we we had uh, a total of 917 students gave us their suicide notes after these shows. Uh, not to mention all the ones that would, you know, on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or YouTube would send, send us a video of ripping up their note or burning it when they got home. And then a lot of these students would tattoo the lyrics of our songs on, the, on their arms where they used to cut. And uh, I thought... How did a song that I wrote in my bathroom <laughs> end up being tattooed on somebody's arm? Like something so personal to me is now personal to them. Like I, I was a part of their life in that way. And I thought, how do I show them that same love? So if you look me up on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, if you look at my arms, I took all the names and signatures from all the suicide notes and I tattooed them on my arms. Both my arms are covered with these names and signatures. And A, I want to show them that they're a part of me as well. But I also want to be able to show people, like, if you have those thoughts, you think you're alone. I've been there. Look, these are all names and signatures of people that once had those thoughts too, and they're still here. Because I think the media, way too often, like if we talk about mental health, we only talk about the suicides. When we talk about addiction, we seem to focus on the overdoses. And we can learn from tragedy without question. But we have to balance that with stories of victory and triumph. So during our show, you know, I'll tell my story and then we play a song about my story. And then I'll talk about somebody we met, you know, on a reserve or in a detention center or a school. And I'll be like, do you want to meet them? And then they'll come out and perform a song with us, you know. So uh, it's so fulfilling. And these students, they see these stories and they're like, oh, okay, cool. I want to be like that girl. I want to rip up my, my note. Maybe I'm worth fighting for. Well, you know, it gets back to the idea that people want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be valued, they want to be appreciated, because so many of us feel that no one is watching, no one cares, no one sees us, you know, we're like, we're the, we're the walking invisible. And when someone like you, takes the time to, first of all, share your story. They might think like, you know, here's this famous rock guy and his band and he's got, you know, he's probably making millions of dollars, et cetera, et cetera. People have, you know, they make assumptions about things. And you put yourself out there, you shared your story and you bared your soul to the audience. And I teach effective oral communication to students 
And I always tell them, I want to hear your story. I want you to be authentic. I want you to be real. I want to hear you in your story. I want to hear you in your speech, in your presentation, because that will connect you to the audience. But more importantly is that is connecting you to yourself. And and that's your gift, Rob. That is your gift is being able to connect to people in a way that is authentic and real. And it's your story. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting, right? Because I've never had anyone walk up to me and say, Rob, I was hit by a semi like you and I have a metal skull like you. Like no one's ever said that. But when you're willing to be vulnerable, you know, people just watch and they're like, huh, this guy's been through something tough and so have I. He's talking about it. So should I. Maybe he got help. Maybe so should I. And and I again, like we said before, I think we make life way too complex. You know, send a text, make a phone call, take somebody out for coffee. But and yeah, because people can smell when when it's authentic or when it's you know manufactured, right? It's when we started going to reserves. Oh boy, here comes a white boy trying to save the day, right? <laughs> and once they saw that it was pure when they saw that we meant what we were saying, there are no cameras around. There was, this wasn't a publicity stunt. Not only were we welcomed, we, but we were embraced. You know, I was, uh, I was, they had a ceremony and I was given my spirit name. They called me bear chief, um, the protector. Um, that's why I have a bear on my hand with chief across my fingers. You know, they said, thank you for helping protect our youth, you know, and, uh, and you just hear all these stories everywhere you go. Like, We've been at reserves three hours from a major city. I'll tell you this story. We were on a reserve three hours from a major city. And I looked in the audience and there were two black nuns in the audience. And I'm like, hmm, I haven't seen this before, you know. And so I went up afterwards and I said, where are you guys from? And they said, we're from Africa. And I said, what are you doing here? They said, we live here. I was like, can you give me some context? And they said, our church in Africa heard about the issues on the reserves in Canada and some of the mishap where that happened with the Catholic church in the past. And they said, and uh, our church raised money. They moved us here and we drive to the city every weekend and buy groceries to feed the kids at lunch that don't have lunch. And I thought, wow, think of the layers to that story. What are they raising in their currency to do that? fly them out here right um to buy groceries and and we we send our money off to other countries and there's nothing wrong with that but how many people in canada have looked what's going on in their own backyard and gone to see that stuff right so that that one rocked me and every time i think okay i've <laughs> you know i've seen all the stories and i've i've seen it all you know every once in a while just my world gets rocked by a story like that you know the reserves that are a few hours from a city that don't have running water. Like it's really remarkable. Yeah. I'm just hearing what you're, what you're sharing in terms of the fact that, well, first of all, seeing the, the two black nuns in, in the audience and finding out their story and knowing what an impact that's made on the community from someone coming outside of the community, you know, and that in itself is amazing. This is going to sound kind of funny, but I think back to when you first started the interview talking about how you actually, the lowest mark in school was music. And now here you are, a musician. So 
getting into music, was that a way of helping you cope with everything? Or or did you even think about it? Or was it just one day all of a sudden, this seems like the right thing for me to do? Well, uh, music has been around me my whole life. You know, I have uh, five siblings that uh, are much older than me. And, you know, they had a family band, but it was more like country, country gospel. I grew up in a pretty legalistic home. And um, so there was like a family band. I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> I grew up later, but, you know, I, I was the only kid when I got to kindergarten, I was the only kid that was an uncle already. Like I thought, what? Because <laughs> I was closer in age with my, my niece and my, my siblings, right? So a very legalistic home. So I wasn't allowed to like really listen to mainstream music. But then I moved out to school when I was 15. And I played a little bit of drums, a little bit of guitar, you know. And people would say, hey, can you know, can you play Guns N' Roses? Can, can you play Nirvana? And I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to listen to that kind of... Wait... <laughs> My parents aren't here anymore. And so I became obsessed with music. Like I just, oh, because like you said in the beginning, you know, music, you know, communicates with you. Music can calm you down when you want to go to sleep. It can rile you up before a hockey game. Like it communicates with you. It can change the literal beats per minute on your heartbeat, right? It, it changes you, right? So uh, it was a big part of me, my life, even though, yeah, I auditioned for the choir and didn't make it. and. You know, a band was my worst mark, but I was obsessed with music as a listener and I played a little bit. And uh, yeah, without question to this day, music has become my diary. As you heard me say before, I, I never told anybody that I struggle with uh, suicidal thoughts or depression. You know, I would just suck it up and be a man and not talk about it. Right. And I always thought I was cursed with all this extra emotion, right? Because I would watch some people go through a tough day and they could wipe it off and keep walking. You know, for me, if I go through something tough, it wrecks me at times, you know? Um, my dad died uh, last year and, you know, I watched how um, how much or how little it affected some people. And I was just a mess. And I always thought I was cursed because like, why do things affect me so dramatically like this? And then I realized I, I wasn't cursed with this extra emotion. Uh, it's a gift, you know, like, like I said about the kid that I went for the walk with, I'm like, yeah, I hurt deeply, but I love deeply. Yes, I hurt deeply, but I can see when others are hurting. And for me in the beginning, music was just, uh, it was my journal. Even if, if the lyrics were bad, I at least was getting them out of my head and into a song. Right. And until I started writing them into a song, uh, I thought I was cursed. But that, that's what happens all the time. I just met a kid at a mall the other day. Oh, Rob, can I have your picture? And your music means so much to me because I was diagnosed with depression. I have suicidal thoughts. And I was like, oh, you're like me. What do you mean? You hurt deeply, but you love deeply, too, don't you? Yeah. You hurt deeply, but you can see when others are hurting, can't you? Yeah. Like, I honestly, Jenny... I I don't do this because I feel bad and I feel sorry for people with mental illness. I think we're losing some of the most gifted people. Like with this girl at the mall, I was like, so do you sing? Do you dance? Do you paint? And she goes, yeah, I dance. How did you know? After talking with hundreds of thousands of young people, I think there's a connection between the arts, like creativity and mental illness. Look at Hollywood. How many artists do we lose to suicide? 
because it's like you've got this creative side to you that you're meant to channel into a song or a painting or a dance or a journal. So like right now, uh, when COVID hit, you know, I kept things pretty underground. I never wanted to like, you know, have all the media there. Cause again, I didn't want students to question my, you know, my motive. Right. But when COVID hit, I looked at my team and I th- said, I think it's time that we tell the stories of the people we've met on this tour. So um, there's a film crew that I'd worked with in the past and, uh, amazing guys. And I called them up and I'm like, will you help me follow up with some of these students and find out where are they now? So uh, we shot a documentary that's going to be coming out very soon, but uh, we put together a team of psychologists and teachers and counselors and social workers. And I said, can you turn this into like a video curriculum? So uh, we beta tested this in four provinces. And right now, as we're talking, there's, this curriculum is being taught in eight different provinces, but basically it's a video curriculum. Um, kids sit in class and they watch a 15 minute uh, little movie about my story. And then they watch a music video and then they journal. What was Rob's struggle? What was his breakthrough? How did he get help? And how is he helping other people? Then they watch the story of one of the students that gave me their suicide notes. They watch their story. They watch another music video and then they journal. What was their struggle? What was their breakthrough? How did they get help? And after five episodes, it's okay. What's your struggle? Where could you find a breakthrough? How could you get help? And how could you help other people? And uh, again, it's all about that journaling. You asked about for me, for me, it was getting these dark thoughts out of my head and onto a paper and writing about the the healing moments too, right? And uh, so I'm really pumped that that curriculum was out now. Um, It cost us a lot to build, and we have to pay for licensing fees for all the schools. But like everything else that we've done, um, I looked at my team, and I'm like, we got to find a way to fund this. So uh, if you go to robnash.ca, if you're a parent, an uncle, an aunt, a teacher, a counselor, uh, you can go there and find out all that you need to know about uh, getting that curriculum into the schools in your area. I absolutely love that, Rob. In fact, that was what really draw me or drew me, I should say, to what you were doing because a living curriculum, you know, it's the idea of music and storytelling that combining the two together, because again, music is very healing and being able to tell your story, right? Because we all have a story and they're not all you know, nice, you know, happy ending stories. Some of the stories have us dealing with struggles, but it's having that ability to, first of all, know that somebody's listening. Like I'm listening. I hear you. I see you. I value your presence. I want to know what your story is. Not that I'm going to try to heal you or help you because personally for me, if somebody is trying to help me, that's not what I want. You know, and and sometimes, you know, my husband, bless his heart, when I've had a bad day, you know, I just need you to be quiet and just hear me out. Let me say my piece and then we can move on. And it's sometimes people are trying to fix you, you know, like you're, you were saying about people saying, oh, you know, this happened for a reason and, you know, this and this and this. And it's like, that has nothing to do with anything, you know, like you have to find your purpose. Yeah, I get that so much, you know, even some of our supporters, like different organizations, you know, they'll help us get into schools. And I just did one the other day and they were like, "Will I talk with the staff. And a lot of them are talking on their own behalf, like adults struggle with mental illness, not just young people. 
but often I get the question of like, Hey, my, my daughter struggles with self-harm or addiction issues, or my, my nephew is, you know, suicidal. Can you tell me what to say? And it's like, well, if you're looking for words that are going to make that all better, those words don't exist. I'm sorry to tell you <laughs> if they, if they did, I'd, I'd give it to you. I wish I could, but you know, I always say, just avoid the cliches, you know, like if you don't know what they're going through, don't say, I know what you're going through. You know, just say, I don't know what you're going through, but I'll sit with you while you're going through it. You know, it's not about what do I say? It's about, Hey, I'm not sure what to say right now to, you know, with everything you're going through, but I'll listen to you. You know, it's like you nailed it, Jenny. It's like, yeah, just sit by me when I'm going through this stuff. You don't have to try to fix me. I just need to know that I'm, I'm, I've got an ear that I can open up to when I'm going through this stuff. Again, people do with good intentions. People, it's like they want to throw the cliches at you. You know, I one cliche I always talk about is the fact that, uh, you know, a young person comes up to me after a show and they're letting me know how much they struggled. And they'd be like, you know, my, you know, my sister died four years ago and when will the pain go away i'm like oh that pain is not gonna go away what that pain's not gonna go away losing your sister oh that won't go away and it shouldn't because you're never gonna forget your sister but listen if pain doesn't go away neither does the strength if you wake up in the morning looking for pain that's what you're gonna find but if you get up in the morning looking for strength or hope or help, you can find that too. And sometimes that's a daily decision, right? But you hear that all these cliches all the time. And our new album, we had finished it, 17 songs. Oh, we spent a long time, all the production. Oh, we were so pumped. And then, as I mentioned, you know, my dad passed. And all of a sudden, I couldn't believe how many people were texting me or calling saying, hey, Rob, don't worry. The pain will go away. I was like, Wow. People say that a lot. Why would people say that? That's horrible. And I I get it. Again, it's with good intentions. But I wrote this song. I called my producers. I'm like, we're adding another song to the album because I have to get this off my chest. And the song is called Favorite Cliche. And it said, it says, we, we buried my dad. And then I heard you say, there's no need to worry. The pain goes away. But could you please spare me your favorite cliche? Because I am still hurting on day 88. You know, and it talks about that pain of missing my dad. Like I still, I walk by and there's different areas where I see his picture, family picture, and it, it stings, you know, like um, that pain is going to be there. But in the song, I get to this place near the end and I say, I'm going to come up with my own favorite cliche. Like I can find peace in the midst of the pain. And I think that's one thing I've realized over this last year is, Peace and pain can coexist. You know, I think so often we talk about, you know, people talk about the pursuit of happiness. It's like, be careful with that because, <laughs> you know, happiness for the most part, it's like, hey, if good things around us are happening, we call that happiness. If bad things are happening, we can't be happy because you're allowing the circumstances around you to determine your mood. You should never do that, you know. Rather than looking for happiness for the circumstances around you to dictate your emotions or your mood, find that find that peace inside. And that can coexist with pain. Much like with my dad. It still hurts that my dad died. I still think of him about a lot. But I have a peace at the same time.
Hi, it's Jenny. We'll get back to the show in a moment. But first, I invite you to check out my website, coffeewithjennyb.ca. That's Jenny with a G, where you'll find all the links to my episodes. You'll also find a variety of coffee gifts available for purchase, including my branded bag of Red Door Coffee Beans from Harrison's Coffee Company. As well, you'll find a link to join the Winnipeg Coffee Community Facebook group. I'll also be posting info about upcoming coffee tours and coffee nights. So keep checking my website for updates. You can also follow me on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. Now, let's get back to the show. I think with the idea of pain, because when you think about physical pain, you know, it hurts, things hurts. And sometimes the pain level can be controlled by your mind, you know, sort of don't think about it, just, you know, let it go. And sometimes you need medication and sometimes you need something more to deal with it. And so when people say, uh, oh, don't worry, the pain's going to go away, they're, they're, ho- they're thinking that they're helping you to try and deal with it. I want to mention, so I, you know, of course, I went onto your website and I was looking at all your your music videos, and the one that I um, that I watched and really made an impact on me was the five girls that uh, is called Shadows, and and the five girls that you were there and um, trying to help them in a, in the way that you do, and uh, there was this one girl that you you mentioned that she was um, afraid of her own shadow, like she couldn't deal with her shadow. And I think what it is, is that we all have that shadow self. And Carl Jung talked about our shadow self, you know, and, and he talked about taking our childhood trauma. And it can be something like, you know, maybe you were a chubby child and everybody called you fat, or they called you stupid, or they called you whatever, whatever, or, you know, you, you try to sing and they say, oh, don't sing, your, your voice is terrible. And then you stop singing, right? So, so he talks about it, like you take all your childhood trauma and it's like in this little bag, like this little, little, um, you know, like the hobos used to carry over a stick, this little kind of cloth bag. And you carry this bag with you through the rest of your life until you find a way of trying to deal with it somehow. So, so dealing with childhood trauma means first of all, first of all, acknowledging that it's there. And then meeting it head on saying, okay, I see you childhood trauma. I see that. I see that. I see that. And I'm not going to let it control me anymore. And I just found that so powerful. Yeah. And Carl Jung is yeah, amazing writer. And yeah, if you, if you check that song out, it's Rob Nash shadows. And I appreciate you looking into it. Cause that, that's an older song. And the scenario too, for those who haven't seen it, you know, we were called into a lockdown facility. So we play prisons and all kinds of different things, but there's these five girls and you're just trying to draw their stories out of them and, you know, get them first um, comfortable. And and then I ended up writing the song about this girl. Like, like you said, Jenny, she's scared of her own shadow. And as I started to, as an artist, as a writer, I like to write in analogies. And, and I, I thought about, okay, she keeps talking about her shadow. And I thought, what, when is the shadow biggest? in your in your scope and that's when you, the light is behind you let's see the sun is setting behind you then in front of you is the shadow 
And it's not just that the shadow is your size. It's bigger than you. It's long. It's intimidating, or it was for her, right? She's got this huge shadow. So in the song, I talk about, well, what if you turn around and you face the light and you walk towards the brightness? Now, A, the shadow is behind you. You don't even see it, right? And then I just kept going with this analogy and it just lit me up as I was writing. And I thought, then you get to this place where if you stand, again, uh, just with the analogy of light, if you stand directly underneath the sun where the you're, you are in line with, let's say, truth and, and peace, right? When that sun is directly on top of you, your shadow actually doesn't exist and it is beneath your feet. You know, the shadow, it's when you're not in line, when you're not in the midst of truth and joy and peace. It's those moments when you turn away from the light and you walk and now you see the shadow in front of you again. It can be intimidating, right? I, I Thank you. You just made my day, by the way. I love when somebody's willing to take hey, what did you mean by this? Or I noticed this in this song. And I thought, oh, thank you. Because <laughs> you write all these pieces of a song and you're like, oh, I hope somebody asked me about that one day, you know? <laughs> well, you know, and and I did look all, at all your other ones, but that one really spoke to me. You know, the fact that you made it very specific that you were dealing with five girls in a lockdown and one girl in in particular was having issues and you were able to, you know, kind of hone in on that and provide some solace for her. Yeah. And that girl, by the way, is in the documentary that we shot. Oh. Where is she now and stuff. And, you know, we've actually brought her up. I'll often tell her story on tour. Her name is Maya. And uh, I'll tell her story about meeting her in lockdown. And everybody's like, whoa, that's an, like when you hear her, hear her whole story, it's intense. And they'll be like, do you want to meet her? And the girl's like, oh. And then you bring her up on stage and she's an incredibly gifted singer, you know, and then she performs a song with us, you know, this one guy came up to me on, on the road and he walked up and he goes, okay, I'm bipolar. I'm like, okay. He goes, I've got Asperger's syndrome. I'm like, okay. He's like, I was di- addicted to crack and cocaine. I'm like, all right. And he goes, are you telling me that I'm not cursed, that I'm gifted? I'm like, absolutely. I was like, man, like if you've got all, you know, first let's just talk about Asperger's syndrome. When you do something, you're super focused on it. I'm like, I bet you're really good at some things, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, I love playing guitar. I'm like, cool, see? And he goes, yeah, can I play for you? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I'm like, show me. And he goes, no, can I play for you? I was like, in my band. (laughs) I'm like, that's bold. I was like, okay, show me you can play. And he showed me he can play. And, uh, I said, all right, learn our songs next time we're in the Edmonton area. You can come do a week of shows with us. And he stayed on the bus with us for two and a half years. Uh, became one of my best friends, an amazing guy. And people would be, I'd tell his story and I'll be like, tell the story about this kid that we met by Paul, you know. I'm like, by the way, he's the guy standing next to me playing guitar. And then there'd be a line of kids looking just to meet him that have dealt with some of the same struggles, you know. Like that's that's what I love about music. We you you mentioned it beautifully a couple times now music communicates with people stories and music you know the indigenous people figured that out you know the power of stories and music you know and and i i do miss it being out on the road but i i'm quite excited um you know to hopefully get them back soon and back out on the road but we're really pumped that the curriculum's out there and people now we can be in more than one place at a time right now a school in victoria and a school in new brunswick can both be watching these stories of people like maya 
And that is your gift to the world, really, you know, is that you saw, you had a vision of wanting to make this happen. And you thought to yourself, okay, how the heck am I going to do this? You know, I can't be in, I can't, I can't be in all these different places at the same time. But then you brought a team together of those that can make a difference in making sure that the documentary, that the stories are told in a way that is going to provide the most inspiration, the most impelling reasons to keep trying to keep going because life isn't perfect. You know, you said it yourself, we make mistakes all the time, but if you can get past the mistakes and just think of, and look for the, look for the beauty, look for the beauty inside, you know, that's what counts. Um, I want to share something that I do with my students in the morning before we do absolutely anything. I say to your, I say to them, okay, tell me one thing you're grateful for today. And one thing that is a challenge for you. And at first they're kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should be doing this. But then as they start sharing, what's interesting is that there's that that's there's that bond. It's like kids are saying, Yeah, me too. I have to deal with this and I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with that. And sometimes the kids will say, Can I start with a challenge first? And I'm like, Yeah, absolutely. So they they talk about, you know, what their challenge is, and then they start talking about what they're grateful for. And then I say to them, okay, that was great. But next time I want you to start with something that you're grateful for. Because if you always start with a challenge, that's what you're focused on. But if you can see the beauty and be grateful, um, you know, I'm grateful to God. I'm grateful I'm, a, I'm alive. I'm grateful that I woke up this morning. I'm grateful that I caught the bus. I'm grateful that I got a cup of coffee. <laughs> and And sometimes it's the little things that you are the most grateful for. That's great. And I wish everybody understood. I wish every teacher understood their role in helping raise a kid. I wish every entertainer knew that, you know, like we all have these little interactions, right? And yeah, like to do something not just successful today, but something significant. And whether you're a teacher, wherever you are, you're you're in these different scenarios. And, you know, people are watching, you know, and, and love doesn't always come in the form of a poem. You know, it can just be doing something or somebody uh, spend half hour a week just open your your eyes up to the potential of doing something for somebody else, you know, and it, I promise it's a bigger addiction than anything you'll find, you know, so teachers have a potential to do something significant, you know, and uh, yeah, I think, I think if we all woke up just saying I'm available, you know, I think we'd have a very different world. And I wish that everybody too were careful with, uh, you know, like we, we've talked about music a few times here today, but like, you look down and you're, when you're driving around, you look at every teenager walking around has headphones in their ears. They're listening to something and uh, you better put a filter on what happens, what goes from your head, like your ears down to your heart. Like you better guard yourself a little bit because, you know, um, you're feeding into, you know, you're feeding your heart. Just like you said, don't always start with something negative or a challenge. Start off with something positive, you know, because if you want to find negative in our world and your life, you're going to find it. That's not difficult to do, but the same thing with what you're listening to. What are you feeding yourself? Make sure you balance that with stories of hope and music of hope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now tell me and tell my listeners, what does the Rob Nash project do? Because it is a registered charity. And you had mentioned that you um, look for funding to help with the series that you got and 
you know, the living curriculum and, and probably more ideas on how to expand on this in the future. So tell us a little bit about what the project actually does. Um, and, you know, I mean, everything you said, absolutely, that's a big part of it. But how can the listeners, how can people get involved in helping you continue the good work that you're doing in helping teenagers and basically anyone deal with issues of mental illness or anything that they want to talk about? Yeah, well, I think a, you know, there's our project, but whether I'm talking in front of a school or I'm talking to your listeners, you know, it's, it's a, like all of us, you know, if we're all, like I said before, if we're all available looking for ways that we can impact the world around us, it'll, you know, that's number one for me when, you know, when Nicole's like, you want to go on this podcast? Yeah. Cause if I can encourage, you know, the people out there to just think outside themselves today, you've encouraged me today, Jenny. But when it comes to the, the project itself, my project, you know, we've partnered with other organizations in the, in the past, you know, and often it was maybe charging schools for what they do. And I understand that that completely makes sense, you know, but I often saw that a lot of the schools uh, communities were looked over because, there's really a lack of funding when it comes to organizations with able to go to work with schools. So we always said we'd never let money stand in the way. So, um, but the reason we're able to do that is because we have a lot of amazing supporters, you know, so we're not here asking anybody online, you know, make donations, but all of us have different promptings. So if you want to go to our website, if you want to tell a, a school teacher, a principal, a superintendent, you know, heard this podcast or whatever, um, you know, for every school that we sign up, you know, we're paying, you know, around $5,000 worth of cost. Um, we try to offer it for free, but, you know, we've got people stepping up, say, hey, you know, I'd like you to come to the school and I'm going to help sponsor with some of the dollars, you know, or even if you donate $75, that takes a little bit off of our plate. But we've got an amazing team that are phoning schools. Um, Obviously, we have a great relationship with schools across Canada, but we're selling a new product through the curriculum. So, um, but we've got people on our team that are phoning schools, letting them know that this resource is out there. Uh, we've got a fundraising team that's trying to find partnerships and ways to, ways to fund it and not let anything stand in the way of people hearing these stories. Because uh, this last couple of years has been really tough. You know, Jenny, when, when I was in grade 12, I had a car accident. And then I was in isolation. And at first I couldn't be with my friends. Then I couldn't play sports. And they put me, I was isolated. And I know what that did to me. So when COVID hit and they kept all the young people at home, you're schooling from home, you can't play sports with your friends. I, I remember what happened to me. I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to be dangerous. So our team is ever dedicated, like you said, and I appreciate your uh, your encouragement today saying like, you know, talk about our gift set and getting these stories out there. Um, but if there's any way that again, even if it's, you don't have a dollar, but you have a connection to a school, go to robnatch.ca, uh, click on an email there and it'll go right to our team. And we have so many amazing partnerships with schools, with parents, grandparents and stuff. So there's all kinds of videos, the same way that you saw the video for Shadows, lots of music videos up there, encouraging videos. And we are also working on um, kind of like a, the way we have a curriculum right now for students. We're working on something similar for parents. Like, hey, how do I respond? How, how do I react when I find this out? Or how do I work with my, my son, my daughter that maybe self be self-harming? 
or dealing with an addiction. So we're working on that as well. And as anybody knows that's listening to this, you know, it takes money to make the world go round a little bit. We have a lot of great supporters um, that help us pull this off. You can have great content, great videos and all that, but you still need to figure out ways to fund it. So um, yeah, all of that information is on our website. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that, Rob. And before I let you go, you've mentioned a few times about I'm available. Now, I haven't done a real deep dive into your music, but if you don't have a song that is called I'm Available, I think you should probably write one. That's really good. <laughs> and it's on air. Crap, you just said it on air, so now people are going to steal it. I'm stealing it from you. <laughs> it's yours. It's my gift to you. I, I would love for you to write a song about how I'm available and just you know make sure you're available. I'm right? not joking. I'm writing this down. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, Rob, thank you so much. This has been so, oh, such a fun conversation, but also inspirational. And I've learned so much about you. I mean, I, I knew a little bit about your background, but of course, not everything. And, and uh, thank you for being so honest and vulnerable. I mean, you mentioned that. And, you know, sometimes we need to be vulnerable. We need to show that softer side to us. And, and we put barriers up, you know, and, and, you know, even though we might be struggling, people say, Hey, so how are you? I'm fine. Everything's good. Meanwhile, you know, my life's falling apart, but to be able to share that and share that in a safe place where there's no judgment, there's no recrimination, there's no, you know, Oh, I'm going to get into trouble because I'm sharing this. It's just acceptance and love. Yeah. You know, and I'll say this, you know, you can see me, but your listeners can't. Uh, but, you know, I'm six foot five, covered in tattoos, a mohawk, a big beard. And if you look at me walking into a room, like if I walk onto a plane with my band, you can tell people like, oh, I hope he doesn't sit by me. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, we look tough and edgy on the outside. But I'll tell you, even that, we do that stuff on purpose. Like I love showing young men that you can be tough and rugged and edgy on the outside and still be full of love and grace and compassion and still be vulnerable on the inside, you know, and that's, uh, people don't usually expect it, you know, on our new album, I have a song, you know, you know, they say, Oh, he's a, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. I say the opposite. I'm a sheep in lion's clothing. Like uh, there's a purity to me inside, even though I look the way I look on the outside. Right. And, you know, people often say, Rob, you know, how does it feel to be such a, a role model and, and such a perfect example of how somebody should live to so many people? And I'm like, oh, you haven't seen our show. <laughs> you know, I kids don't look up to me because I'm this great role model that's this perfect, flawless. You can ask my family if I've been a perfect brother or husband or dad. <laughs> you know, like I have screwed up a lot and I'm just willing to start over. And I think other people need to see and hear that too. Wherever you've been, I always say like, Life is like a GPS, you know, let's say I plan to drive from, you know, Toronto to Vancouver and you set that in your GPS, right? And then it's not calculated in there that you're going to pull over for Starbucks coffee, right? But then you pull off and you decide to get a coffee and then your GPS says recalculating, rerouting, right? And so whatever you've done, if you've screwed up, it's like rerouting, you know, like get back on that, that road, just keep walking. That's what I've tried to do. And I think that's what people resonate with. Mm -hmm. It's about second chances. It's about a do over. 
You know, it's like in, in golf, you know, they call it a mulligan. It's like, oh, that's a mulligan. Okay, I get to do it over. That didn't count. And sometimes we just need to accept that, you know what, if I screwed up and life's not over, you know, like you lose your job or, you know, something bad happens and you wallow and it's like, oh my gosh, my life is over. What am I going to do now? But then you wait, right? You wait and you sit and you wait for the universe to give you a sign or, or you wait for that little voice, that little voice inside of your body to say, okay, this is what you need to do the next. This is your path to the next thing that is going to make life better for you. Yeah, you nailed it. You know, when, especially when I speak to young people, it's like, I know you're thinking you're in grade nine and you're, you can't picture how to get to the end of the week, never mind end of the school year or graduation. But one thing you learn in addictions meeting, it's just for today. You know, I got this just for today. I won't use or I won't drink just for today. I'll, I'll keep walking and then, you know, everybody talks about, you know, life is not, you know, destination, it's a journey. But I love what one person said. It's like, you're going to make it way further in life if you enjoy the walk. Me and my team, we enjoy the walk. So when COVID hit and we couldn't perform in, stu- in front of students anymore, that, that had the chance to stop everything that we were doing. It almost did. You know, we could have packed it up, but we enjoy the walk. Oh, I wonder what we can do now. How do we adjust? You know, so... If you just enjoy the walk, then those destinations, those monumental moments, you just pass by, oh, that was cool. But we're enjoying the walk. We're just going to keep going, you know? Yeah. Enjoy the walk. I love that. So if I write this song called I'm Available, are you going to sing it with me? Absolutely. Because <laughs> you know what? You know, I'm going to brag now. I was good in music in school. Oh, and yeah. I was in the choir. I was in the magical choir. And, oh, cool. You know, and I mean, I haven't sung for forever. I just sing for my granddaughter now. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but absolutely, I, I love that you're going to do it. And I think that, you know, you can put a lot of real emotion and, and some fun as well, you know, like to say, hey, I'm available. You know, like when somebody says, hey, you know, who's available to go for coffee? Me, I'm available. And just make it lighthearted because, you know, you're right. And you said it a few times, you know, people tend to to obsess over the tragedy, obsess over the, you know, the bad stuff, the negative stuff that's happened to us. Yeah. Okay. So bad stuff happened. Travid tragedy happened. You can't stay there forever. You know, you have to, you have to try and find the light and, to have someone like you and what you've accomplished in terms of the living curriculum and everything that you're doing, you're giving people hope and helping them find that light. I think and we all have the bit, that ability, right? We're all going to run into somebody. And, you know, and by the way, for anybody listening to this, you know, um, if you go to our social media, Hey, I'd love to hear from you guys. Look up Rob Nash on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, wherever you are. But one thing, you know, you've talked about this. We, we're laughing too. We're having a good time. And, you know, after our shows, I would make a post. Hey, it was awesome playing in Medicine Hat today, you know. And, you know, you'll see comments. Oh, that was so moving. I cried through the whole show. The next person like, you should be a comedian, man. I didn't stop laughing. You know, like <laughs> our shows are always weird that way. It's like, yeah, we cover some heavy topics, but we have to be able to laugh too, you know, and have some fun. Yeah. It's everything. I mean, that's life. You know, you, you have the good and the bad, the light and the dark and you know, everything, you can't have light without dark. Totally. Yeah. You know, it's all yeah. about balance. For every, about mile, balance. every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch and you got to find <laughs> that balance, you know? Absolutely. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Rob. And uh, I'll make sure to post your website and social media on our show notes so that people know where to go. And you've mentioned your website a few times. So to my listeners, if you can help out in any way, and, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't necessarily have to be money, although that is helpful. But if you if you know a school, if you know someone who could really use that information, please go to robnash.ca or reach out to Rob on social media and make a connection and make things happen. So thanks again, Rob. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jenny. So until next time, think about how music can heal you. Think about you helping to heal someone else and just being there for someone, seeing someone, letting them know that they are seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. And sometimes just letting them share their story and letting them know that you are listening. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Coffee with Jenny B and want to know more, connect with Jenny on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. That's Jenny with a G. Until then, all you need is joy and more coffee. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.